Hello and welcome to Peach Pod. I am your host, Luke Boggs, and I am joined today by Jonathan Wallace, who is running for my own district of State House District 119. Uh, how are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Well, I'm excited to say that I'm pretty sure I was your first vote in Clark County because I was the first voter in Clark County. So I was your first vote in, in my home county of Clark County. So congratulations. Excellent. Thank you. So, Thank and, you. And, and also just to completely reveal my bias very early. <laughs> so uh, I will say in my own personal experience, I was very excited that you got into this race somewhat for a selfish reason in the sense that in my time of being in Clark County, which is been since 2011, I've actually never gotten a chance to vote for a Democrat. And I've had to, you know, write in like John Lewis or Spencer or, you know, someone else. So it's, it's, it was quite the experience to walk in and like, this is my district and I'm voting for a Democrat. And so what do you think made you want to get into this race? Well, you actually just touched on it. Uh, that was the thing that I found very important is that um, I wanted to make sure that there was a progressive voice in this race. Um, like you, I haven't had a lot of opportunities to vote for Democrats in, in this district uh, since, since 2011. And when, uh, when the opportunity arose, when, when, uh, when, I, when I heard that there was an opportunity to do this, uh, I really hoped that there would be a Democrat who would run. Uh, and, but I was, felt so strongly about it that I wanted to make sure that if there wasn't somebody else stepping up, that I was willing to step into that role. Uh, that was a big part of it. The other thing was that I was just very frustrated with uh, things that have been going on in Georgia lately, things that have been going on at the national level with the discourse, uh, with our political discourse has been very discouraging. And I feel like a reasonable person with common sense would be very important to be in the race. Uh, I wanted to make sure that there were some progressive voices in the race. Uh, and so that was sort of my impetus. That was sort of my thought process behind it was, uh, you know, I have no idea what what the actual outcome looks like, what my chances are, would look like. At that time, I was very ignorant. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to make sure that there was an opportunity for folks to vote uh, for a Democrat. And uh, yeah, so there, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make a positive difference for folks as well. That's ideal if I can get in and win. Uh, so that was all sort of my pre-public uh, announcement. Once I actually announced, though, and started talking to people, I actually found out how winnable this district is and how, how much of a toss-up this op- in how great this opportunity is for us as progressives to flip this district. Um, I don't know if you know much about the race, uh, all the details yet. Well, uh, I, I do, but, you know, I, this show is not just for me, so it would be great for, you know, you to tell us how you think about it. Yeah, so um, uh, I do know that there, I'm running against three uh, Republicans, and... What's really fascinating about this race is because it's a special, uh, we're all running at the same time. There's no primary. So well, it's I'm a jungle running, primary. It's a jungle primary, it. exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I'm running against three Republicans at the same time. Uh, and that's ultimately a good thing for me because that makes they're, they're having to split their conservative base amongst themselves. Uh, and if one of us is able to attain 50%, uh, a little over 50%. Yeah, 50% then that, plus one, as they say. That's yeah. right, 50% plus one, then we win outright. And when I say we, I mean me, because I'm the person most likely to do that. And that's what we're aiming for. Uh, if, uh, perchance, I don't get 50% plus one, then the top two will go into a runoff. And that's looking very likely, because it's very unlikely that those folks would get more. Uh, two Republicans would be able to do that when they're, when they're all fighting for the same voters. So when you look at the, the game theory of it, it's really positive. And I wasn't really aware of all of these facts before I decided to run. I just knew that... I've sort of been tired of not having a voice that that had shared my values running in the race. So uh, that was a big part of that. Yeah, because, you know, for those that don't know, the windup for this race was very quick because it kind of been an open rumor in Clark County that Regina Quick was going to be 
appointing to a judgeship. She was another state representative in uh, your neighbor district of 117. But then Chuck Williams also got appointed, and that was just like a shock to everyone. And so for for me, my you know the experience was like Jonathan Walsh just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> and so like, I'm <laughs> sure true. for you, it's probably the same way. It's just like this campaign came out of nowhere, and you That's were probably thinking about running like a year from now. But no, 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 no. Actually, there was no thought of running really? whatsoever. Yes. Okay, so, so you just like when the special came up, that's like when it hit you. Well, yeah, so some I had a friend who uh, is involved with the local Dems, and he reached out to me and said, hey, do you know anybody who might be interested once the announcement came? Right. And I actually did some legwork and talked to some folks and thought that I thought would be great candidates and spoke to them and said, hey, I think you'd be great to do this. And they all declined for one reason or another. So when I say literally that I was hoping that somebody, there would be a progressive voice, I really was. But when I looked around and saw that nobody else was stepping up, I said, no, this is not, I'm not going to stand for this. this right. Is, or I will stand for this, rather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what do you think makes it so hard for this district to get someone to run? Um, I really think it's the there's a myth, right? There's a myth that there aren't folks with progressive values in this district, and that's not true. And and I really think that folks have believed that. There's been a um, there was a recent incident where um, four women in Oconee County started a progressive group on Facebook, and this was something that was covered in a local political blog. And when that happened, there was people who were like, "What? There's there's progressives in Oconee County, and we know that there's a fair amount of progressives in Athens Clark County. I used to be one. I lived in Athens Clark County for the last uh, 20 years in this area. And so when we looked around, we said, "Oh, there are people like us. We are finding those folks." So. I think a lot of folks think that. That's like the myth that exists. But when you get out on the ground, I've been knocking on doors with folks. I've been phone calling folks. Folks are really excited. They're like, thank goodness there is a Democrat who's running. I'm so happy. I'm ready to vote for you. Let's do this. And they get really excited and then they start spreading the word. So there's just been this myth that it's a very red sea when I think it's actually a lot more purple than people give it credit for. And what's really interesting is there's folks that I've spoken with who are identified as Republicans when you look at the voter rolls because that's the only option they've had. Right. And then when you talk to them, they're like, I'm actually a Democrat in my values, but there's just nobody has stepped up. And so I think that has been, it's, it's been easy to believe that. And so when I talk to folks, that's part of the mission is to share the, the good news that it's not just uh, a red sea. There's actually a, a, a lot of blue out there. And by being out and talking to folks and being in, uh, you know, a, a, a signpost, a flagpole, that there are some more progressives, then they can sort of wake up and, sh- and say, raise their hand and say, oh, I'm a progressive too. And then we connect with one another. And then other progressives go, oh, yes, there are more of us. And so now we actually are willing to speak up and share that we the, the values that we share out loud and let our neighbors who we love and you know maybe go to church with and maybe work with know that we don't necessarily agree with them on everything, but we do live next to them, right? And right. so we're breaking that myth down door by door. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, I think that's really important because I think people really underestimate the effect just having somebody represent Democratic values can have on constituency because I know I you talk about a lot, but like I think like before like I told my parents I was a Democrat, they had no conception of what a Democrat was. <laughs> like you know, it's just like sort of just like amorphous boogeyman, you know, that's up in DC and it's yes. just like you don't really know them. Yes. Um but you know, it's it's definitely like you say, you know, like we're going to the same churches as most of these people. We have a lot of the same beliefs and a lot of the same values. It's just how we express them and the things that we prioritize are a little bit different. That's right. Um, I think, And I think that you, what you're speaking to there is that folks, we're a lot more alike than we're different. Right. And folks don't, and it's easy if you just read the news where they're looking to create a narrative that's exciting and, and, and sometimes 
different. And so they want to exploit the differences. They want to highlight those and draw them out because that creates the drama. When in reality, we're all a lot more alike. If we're going to church together and we're going to the same places for lunch and we're, we're, our kids are in the same sports or you know whatever, or the same activities or going to the same schools, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, that's my neighbor. You realize that there's a lot more in common and that the differences that people are trying to highlight are not as strong as they, they want to make them be. And we, we really all care about the same thing. We all care about our community. We want to make sure it's better. We want to make sure that we have a good community here in this district, in this region, and in this state, and in this country. Like We all share those same values, and it's so easy for us to forget if we allow our attention to be focused on the differences as opposed to the similarities. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of the differences, though, what makes your district different? You know, because there's 180 state house districts, and they're all different, and, you know, people don't really know what makes any particular district unique. So, like, what makes yours unique? Why, why is it exciting to potentially be the representative of this district? Um, I think what's exciting to me is my wife and I both came here for uh, to, to, to go to school at UGA about 20-something years ago, and we both fell in love with the area, and we wanted decided that we wanted to raise our family here. And, and when we, we got married and, and stayed here, here. Um, so I've been in the Athens area for a long time. What makes it exciting to me is, is I have that perception, uh, that, that perspective, excuse me, of being in athens Clark County and like reading the flagpole for years as a UGA student, as a graduate student, as somebody working here. Uh, and uh, But then we moved out to, when we, ha- we had to move away for a short period of time uh, for my career, but we came back as soon as we could, took about a couple of years. And when we moved back, we moved back to Oconee County because I wanted to make sure that I could still get to Atlanta if I needed to for a job. I knew that I might have to commute in, that I might not have the opportunities here. So what I think makes us unique is that we've been growing as a community. We've seen a lot of growth in the last 20 years. I've definitely seen it. And uh, I wanted to, I got involved with a local tech nonprofit to help grow the tech community here, the tech industry, because I felt like that was a great way to grow good jobs. And selfishly, I also wanted to make sure that I didn't have a reason to leave. There was always a reason for me to stay here. And if worse came to worse, I would have to commute. I could commute in. I didn't want to. We thought about moving to the east side of Athens. That's like an extra 20 minutes on the commute. That's way too long. Yeah. <laughs> it takes an hour commute, turns into like an hour 45 commute. What I think makes it interesting about this district is it's, this, it's the eastern portion of Athens Clark County, which I'm very connected to. And then it's the whole of Oconee County, which is where we've lived for the last uh, seven years, eight years. And so. Um, you have a nice mix of, of uh, like urban and suburban and then rural. And that's where I grew up. I grew up in uh, south of Atlanta, about 30 minutes south of Atlanta, a place called Stockbridge. And there, it was very rural when I first uh, moved. Uh, we moved there. We moved there to take care of my great-grandmother um, who had Alzheimer's, and we wanted to stay there with her. Uh, and let her live in her house. And when we moved there, there was a, we lived on a dirt road. There was, the only uh, restaurant to go to was a huddle house. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I went left for college, there were three elementary schools within three miles of my parents' house. And there were subdivisions all around us. So I've seen the growth. I've seen the transition from rural to suburban. Um, and I feel like what that's what makes our district very interesting is that we have we already have that mix but we also have that i think we have some of that growth coming our way too and i think it's very important that we are conscious as a district as to what kind of district we want to become and what what kind of region we would like us to be and so i think we're at a very interesting inflection point where we have to be very conscious about and intentional and thoughtful about how we grow when you look at the demographics of it there's about twenty five thousand folks in athens clark county in the district there's about twenty five thousand folks in uh, Oconee County in the district. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it's just got this nice, interesting mix of folks, the way it's, the way it's uh, drawn out. 
Yeah, I think it's really fascinating because, like, sort of your district from how you describe it is actually like a microcosm of like what Georgia's going through right now. Yes. Because you know, it's sort of like you're either in Atlanta or you're worried you might have to go to Atlanta for your job. I and mean, I definitely feel the same way. You know, being at Georgia Law and like wondering like, am I going to be able to stay in Athens? Am I going to have to go to Atlanta? Go somewhere else? So that's a big problem for anyone that has undergraduate degree or higher that the employment that they would like to seek pretty much is only in the bigger cities in georgia and Mm -hmm. that i think is a really really big problem yeah and that you know when you were thinking about how you were going to support your family and support your life that you had to think okay i might have to go to atlanta Mm -hmm. instead of getting to pick the community that you would like to live in the most and work in the most you had to have that consideration yeah so i think that is a really i think that's a very typical problem because it's one that people my age talk about all the time and and the thing is is when you think about what athens is doing we're producing uh, we have this excellent university here. We have excellent people come through with uh, bright minds and bright energy, uh, high amounts of energy. And then they look around and they go, I love it here. I'd love to stay. And they go, but I can't. And yeah. that was exactly what I was worried about. And we fought very hard uh, in our life choices, my wife and I, to make sure we could stay here. And we still found the need to leave just for a little bit to get my career over a hump and then come back in. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a universal one. And so the way to think about it is like there's a brain drain. Atlanta's this you know has a lot of weight to it and gravity, and it and, and it sucks away all these great kids. Uh, you know, no offense, it's yeah. calling you kids, but uh, uh, you know it's it's one of those things where we we have all we're, we're making we're helping these folks grow into uh, great careers, and then we're we're putting all the work and time and effort, and then they go somewhere else. They take those skills and that experience and that energy somewhere else. And we wonderful here because we have such big problems here that you might be familiar with. Yeah. Uh, the poverty rate in Athens is 38%, which is absolutely ridiculous. For a, 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 a city that has uh, such capabilities and such uh, resources, in my opinion, uh, we should be doing more to address those types of things. And what's interesting is folks have a tendency to think of Oconee County as not having a lot of poverty, but it's they have some too. Um, and my daughter's school, I have a, a nine-year-old in the elementary school. The kids who can't afford their lunch jumped up like 25% in the last year. And it's like, it's like, up at like something like 32% at her school. And that's in Oconee County. So the poverty that's here, it's in our community. It's, it's in our region. And, and it's very disturbing to me that we haven't been doing more to address it as a community. We could do uh, we can do so much more. So, I mean, you know, jumping on a little bit into my platform, like that's something I feel very strongly about is we want to make sure that we fully fund our schools. But I think that it's very important that we would realize that we can't just solve poverty with education. Right. Like it takes more than that. We have to address it as a community with systemic solutions. So that means we have to do, we want, we do want to tackle the education piece. We want to make sure that kids are getting educated for the future. And then we also want to make sure that we have job training we want to make sure we have job opportunities. We want to make sure we have like finance education. We want to make sure that kids are, they can't just be, we can't just be giving them uh, learn, uh, the teachings if we're not making sure that they're well fed and they're well rested, which is a challenge for some of the kids who are in abject poverty uh, where they don't get enough to eat over the weekend. Uh, it's very difficult to learn if, if you don't have enough energy in your body to help your brain retain the information that you've been taught. So you can have the best teachers in the world, but if we don't address the whole student, and the whole community, then it's not going to be a solution that's going to stick. And I think that's one of the challenges that has faced us in the past is that people tend to do one leg or two legs of a solution, and it's not enough to hold up the whole table that we need to uh, to solve the problem at its root cause. 
Yeah, and that is just a tremendous problem in Athens. I've been talking with uh, you know the folks running for mayor, you know, city council, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, that's pretty much what everyone says. And I guess my frustration with it is that everyone talks the talk, but the walk has yet to be walked. Yes. In my experience, and that's yes. that's a, a big big problem because I feel like there's a lot of attention paid to. The first problem that we mentioned, which was the brain drain, the lack of high-paying, technical, Mm -hmm. legal, you know, whatever kind of jobs. But there's not as much attention paid to how uh, the county and how the state could be really dealing with the poverty problem in a real way. Because it is a very obvious problem. Yes. But there's just not a lot of attention paid especially from the state on how to work on that. It really takes a complete vision. And I think that's the challenge is that it takes a complete vision. And so the way I think about it coming from the high tech field, which is my background as software is that you have, I've been working with this nonprofit and we've seen the growth that's come along with it. We've seen with uh, people come in who have, so we do tech education at this nonprofit. I should back up a second and share that. We do tech education for uh, after school programs for grade school kids we do adult education for helping folks transition into software development. And then we also do events around startups and helping startups become more successful, find people, connect with one another, and face the challenges that small businesses do. When we look at those three things, uh, with the three things that we've done at 4Athens uh, and how that's impacted the community, it's been very, it's, it's, we've seen the impact. So when we're talking about you know, what does it take to solve poverty, you can't, you can't just we can't just throw money at uh, financial tra- uh, financial tra- uh, education, job opportunities, job training, education, you know, wraparound schools for, for addressing kids who are in the abject poverty. We've got to do all those things, but we have to fund those things. And the way you right. do that is by growing your tax base. And the way you do that is you focus on high-growth industries. You find ways to woo those folks here. And that's what I've been doing for the last four years is focused on how to do that. And it really is a chicken and egg problem, like which one comes first. And the answer is you have to start working on both at the same time. And once you start building momentum, uh, then you start seeing more success. So uh, I think the things that we've done locally here around trying to woo industry here is fantastic. But we we honestly need to be doing more and we all, uh, than we have done. And we also need to be looking at different types of industries. So we wooed Caterpillar here, which I think was fantastic that we, we got them to come here. And that's fan- that's wonderful. But we also need to make sure that we're looking at those industries that are growing. So Vox Pro came downtown there in the old Athens Banner Herald building. Uh, that's wonderful. They're planning on bringing, you know, a few hundred jobs. I forget the exact number. Off and the what industry are they in? Yeah, and they're in tech. Yeah. They're, 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 they are a, a customer support call center for high-end companies that want to make sure they have very high, uh, high white glove experience where they, you know, make sure their customers feel very valued. And so the, we need more companies that are bringing in those types of jobs. And then when you get that foundation of those types of positions, then the folks, the lawyers and the doctors, they're going to have more constituents. The tax base goes up. That's more funds because we're in a growth cycle. Then those funds, we have to be very conscious about what we're doing and not just shove those all back into growth, but also realize that we're trying to tackle this other problem. So it takes discipline and it takes a vision. And I think that's what I've seen work over the last four years for me. I've felt the effects of the problem that we talked about, the brain drain problem. So I feel like I've really lived the story that we're talking about, seen the things that make it successful. And for the listeners, uh, I come from a relatively poor background. My dad used to run shrimp boats. I used to go help my mom clean bars. My dad does too, actually. Does he? Well, well small ones. Like, like literally like just him and a bogan tripping. Oh, <laughs> so, no, yeah. yeah. He ran a yeah. little bit bigger boats than yeah. that. Yeah, they have a couple of deckhands. So that's what, that's what they would, uh, you know, that's how I grew up. I grew up seeing that. I grew up 
you know, going to see his deckhands on the Saturday or Sunday, and we didn't have a lot of money then. They really didn't have any money, you know. Yeah. So we, you know, I've seen that. I've grew up with that, and I feel like my life story is seeing what it takes to be successful, and that's what I want to do by running this for this office is take that experience and apply it to making our region, our district, and our state better. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. What, what as a state rep, would you like to do? You know, what, what made you want to run for state rep versus, like, county commission or, you know, anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, at the state level, there's some, some things that have been very frustrating to me. Uh, having a tech background, I follow closely um, how, we, how we handle and run our voting process. Mm-hmm. That's been very frustrating. Uh, I've been paying attention to uh, the problem of gerrymandering and seeing how that's been playing out in, in the tech space. The, the interesting thing is that with the power of computers these days, we can do very fancy things with looking at how we divide up our districts. And there's actually some good approaches that can bring us to a very competitive district. So one of the things I felt very strongly about was let's have an independent redistricting commission for 2020 that makes our districts very competitive. Let's allow our voters to choose their elected officials as opposed to the other way around. And I feel very strongly that if we do that, that's going to force an engagement. I mean, it's going to inspire an engagement because if you know when you step into the booth, each time that you can vote the other way and flip the and flip the district because your elected official hasn't followed through on the things that they said they were going to do, you're holding them accountable. And accountability is very powerful. It's very inspiring, and it's something that gets me super motivated. It gives me chills every time I talk about it because I'm like, this is the secret to democracy working. <laughs> also, you know, just so listeners know, I did not pay you to say that because that's also like my pet issue. Okay, so like, okay. yeah, it's I did like, not I, know that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I am like obsessed with voting rights. Uh, Iowa has a great plan. If you haven't looked at it, that's that's my favorite. State, yeah, okay. their plan's very good, but we won't we won't get too deep into that. But okay. they have a very good plan yeah. for how how they run things. All of their districts are within like R five on the congressional level, so it's pretty it's pretty flippable. Like, yeah, yeah, that's and, wonderful. And right now, one of their Democratic seats is held by a Republican, which is depressing, but it's kind of like good good that's for cr- you know yeah. like good for democracy, bad for the party. Kind that's of right. That's okay yeah. though, because I think that really forces us then to make sure that. As, an, as a person campaigning, it makes me make sure that I'm listening to the people and make sure that I'm representing their interests uh, and listening to what they have to say and, and making sure that that's part of the process. As opposed to now, where special interests, in my opinion, have really taken the conservative party and yanked them in a direction that I don't think, honestly, a lot of conservatives really believe. Because, right again, they're my friends, they're my neighbors, they're my family. I love them. I eat with them. We work with, we work with one another. We go to church with one another. And when you talk to them, they don't share those all those views. However, the party has gone in that direction, and I think that's really distressing for our our stability here as a country. So that's part of the reason running too is to like let's pull this back towards some progressive values because I think that's where most people really are. Honestly, when you look at it, most people uh, the, the statistic that comes to mind is the when you ask folks, "What do you feel about this policy and this policy and this policy and this policy?" and they just don't know that those policies are all associated with Obamacare. And right. they're like, "Yes, yes." Yes, yes, I love all those policies. And you go, oh, and it's called Obamacare. And they're like, oh, I don't like it. And you're like, yeah. no, you just said you liked all of those things. Yeah. When you when you look at that fact, you know that, that a lot of people share our values. It's just because of the the the, uh, the the how they focus their attention in the media and the media drawing those distinctions. I think it's you know that's a, a reason for us to say, hey, we we can do better than that. So I digressed a little bit from your question, which is what can we do at the state level. 
I also felt very strongly before I ran about our accountability and voting. I would love to see us have uh, a voter uh, uh, auditable trail. Um, so we we produce a paper ballot at the end of our voting process that we can then verify before we hand, we before we turn it in, and then it gets sealed and made sure that if the calc if there's anything. Uh, anything concerning about the calculated votes at the end that we could go back and revalidate that with that paper trail. I think that's incredibly important for us to maintain our faith in the democratic process. So if we have those two things together, I think all the values that we're talking about and that we're talking about know that we share, you'll see those things come back to the fore because the representatives will now represent the people as opposed to the representatives representing special interest. Yeah. And the districts they hand chose for themselves. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Is, you know, just incredible uh, that that has not been addressed as of yet. So that definitely is like a passion project of yours is trying to mm-hmm. um, improve the democratic process. What other issues do you think um, aren't getting paid attention enough that need to? Well, um, I think there's been a lot of attention that has been paid to it. I don't think there's been a lot of accountability that's been recognized by the elected officials. And so one of those issues is campus carry. Right. Um, and this one that's infuriating. There's been two mass shootings in the U.S. that have affected me or friends of mine personally. And so I find it incredibly infuriating that we are trying to normalize weapons and that don't need to be wep- uh, normalized in places that they don't need to be right. um, and that they're being sold as uh, an issue of safety. And that is so distressing because it's not the case. If we look at the folks, when we talk about uh, accountability uh, and, and local control, if we ask each university president, do you want guns on campus? Each one of them, all 35 or 36 of them in Georgia said no. If you ask all the people at those campuses and ask them, what would you like? They all say no. So uh, it's very strange to me at the state level that the Republicans would say, this is what we need to do. This is what the people want. When 10,000 people call a governor and say, this is not what we want, and 100 people do, and he signs the bill anyway, that is not listening to the people and representing the will of the people. So uh, it's an issue that's gotten a lot of attention, but I don't think we've held those folks accountable for them voting the way they have and pushing the things that they have. The constitutional amendment number one that was on the bill in 2016 was about the control of local schools and whether the state could take over local schools. That was rejected in our district by some huge amount. I think it was over like 65, 70%. We rejected that in district 119. And yet it was a constitutional amendment on the, on, the, on the ballot in the first place. That's not listening to the people. You know that those folks are in the gold dome or doing their research as to how they can frame things so the way that they can win. And to have it still rejected, it really means they're serving somebody else's interest yeah. and not the people's interest. So uh, anyways, I'm getting a little fired up about I this. I mean, as you should. You know, it's like 930. This is what you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and so um, – uh, you know, the other, the other thing, I can tell you one thing that I think is just now getting a little bit of, of attention, and I definitely know that I've felt it more strongly. So I, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the country, and when I grew up there, I used to beg my parents, when can we get cable TV? Yeah. <laughs> and right. they were like, uh, number one, we're not going to pay for that. Number two, we can't, right? right? Where we live, we could not get it. We still have an issue with rural broadband. Uh, I've been out canvassing in the eastern and southern portions of Oconee County, and uh, I don't get cell coverage out there everywhere. Uh, And when I talk to some folks, when I knock on their doors, they say that they have to pay extra to get crappy DSL, excuse my French there. Uh, They don't get great internet service. And so when we talk about the challenges that the folks in the rural, rural areas of the state are facing... They no, they don't no longer they no longer have access to the 21st century economy because that's where a lot of it's happening. So right. how can they 
find training opportunities if they live 100 miles from a strong university or over 100 miles from that. The way they can find that is the internet, but not if they don't have internet access. So they need to have that because that's something that allow them to get connected uh, to the rest of the world and be and find job opportunities, to find training opportunities. And that's a very efficient way to do that. So I'd love to see our infrastructure built out across the state because I think the other challenge is that we have our rural hospitals that have closed with the rejection of the Medicaid expansion. That's a, that was a terrible mistake. And uh, so... We have our rural counties are suffering and struggling, and we need to give them economic opportunities if we can uh, and where we can. And we want to make sure that they have access to health care and health facilities. And so I feel like um, that's something that we've talked about. But it's just when you think about it again, in my mind, the way I think about these things is you have to have holistic solutions. And so you have to be addressing if we just put a hospital in, in, in South Georgia, but there's no jobs around there, it's going to be tough for that hospital to make it. We want to grow an industry around that. One of the ways to do that is to make sure that we're giving those folks uh, fully funding the schools so that they can afford to train their kids up so that when they come out of school, they have the opportunity to take those knowledge economy jobs and making sure they have the access to those jobs. So when you look at my platform and the way I think about it, it's like these are all these things feeding with one another. And if we do all of these things and it's a little bit of uh, a round robin where we have to focus on one, do some work in there, go focus on the next one and keep keep our attention moving and going and making sure we're looking glancing at each one and make it's like i have three kids <laughs> and so if you're trying to keep track of them you can't just give all your attention to one it's going to lead to chaos with the other two <laughs> right so, so you've got to give a little bit here okay listen they're doing well things are going well they're calm they're doing the homework okay let's go look at the next one you know it's sort of the thing it's the same thing with these issues not to make it sound trivial because number one kids aren't trivial but it's it's a, it's a lot of work and i think it's something that folks have been who've been elect, you know they've been running the state for the last so many years they have not done that yeah <laughs> they, they have they have they have looked, focused on divisive issues, trying to uh, shore up their power base, and they're not li- and, and focused on special interests, and they've not been focusing on the will of the people and what's best for the state of Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that fascinating because every you know the stereotype is like, oh, Republicans are all about economic development, but you know if you think about like what issues have they pushed over the past you know six or seven years of just like watching their governance of this state, that's not what they've been pushing and it's not what they are interested in pushing. And it has been these divisive issues like campus carrying, like the RIFRA bills that they've done. And that's like what makes the news. That seems to be what they care the most about. And it's, you know, it's critical, I think, for us to have these conversations because so few people, again, understand that this is what Democrats in Georgia are interested in doing. Yes. And I think the thing that you bring up with the RIFRA bill, it's, it's incredibly important. There, when the news of that consideration of that bill came out, uh, there were businesses who were thinking about doing business in Georgia that decided not to just because of that bill, because right. they're like, this is not the type of place we want to do business. And so when, when I hear that it's, it's a trope now that Republicans are for small businesses, they nev- they've not in, not in my experience have I seen that to be the case. They're, they're literally running away economic activity that's a boon to us as a, as a, as a state uh, just to play politics. And, and it's incredibly frustrating. That was part, part of the reason that I ran as well, is seeing that I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh, we want to grow our state. We want our state to become competitive. We want us to be the best state in the Southeast. We want us to be the best state in the nation. And the way that we do that is by listening to the will of the people, solving the systemic challenges that we face while growing our economic base, because those two are part of the same solution. You have to have both pieces of that. And so it's very strange to them, to me to see them pushing things that are scaring people away. I know yep. there's, there's people outside of this state who, with a campus carry, are no longer going to pay that out-of-state tuition to send them to UGA or Georgia Tech or any other university system in the state of Georgia, uh, university in the state of Georgia. And that's 
that is just it's it's mind blowing that they would think that that's a good idea and that that's the way to maintain maintain control of state and and that's what we're doing. We're going to show them that that's not how it works. Uh, we're working every day. I'm be going canvassing for the rest of the day. You know, knocking on doors, uh, letting people know about this vision, letting people know that they have a choice. I'm, I mean, I'm really excited about the energy level that I've been seeing. One of the things that we do uh, in these conversations is uh, we flip the table, and so I have you ask me a question. So what, what question would you like to ask me? Um, so since I decided to run, uh, I haven't had a lot of time to read. Right. And so I'm going to steal uh, a, this from this question from Ezra Klein's podcast. Ooh, I love this podcast, and you're going to ask me why I've been reading. What, what's, what book would you recommend that I need to read that would mm. be uh, incredibly impactful on my, uh, my new political career, my new okay. political campaign. So in that sense, I'm going to have to not answer this question the exact way as Klein's guests do because all I read now is case books because I'm in law school <laughs> and you do not need to read those. They will not help you. They will not help you at all. They are texts of great mystery that no one truly understands. So I will actually recommend more than one book. I will recommend Robert Caro's The Years of Lyndon Johnson series, which, okay. if you're unfamiliar with it, basically Robert Caro must have just woke up one day and decided, I'm going to make Lyndon Johnson my life, because he's been writing books on Lyndon Johnson since, like, the 80s, I think, and he's, like, still working on the last one. Oh, wow. And they are huge, and they are great. But why I like them is that um, Lyndon Johnson is by far, I think, one of the most interesting presidents we've had. A lot of the debates that we have in this country are off of programs that he created, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, food stamps, all these things are creations of his administration, and we're still fighting the same battles that we were before on that front. But what would be personally valuable to you and the, you know, the way you frame the question is that despite him being a very personally flawed person, it is very fascinating to see how when he acquired great power, one of his great priorities was to like deal with poverty. Mm-hmm. In that, like when he became a congressman, he actually did the issue. Our issue right now is rural broadband. His issue at the time was rural electrification, mm-hmm. and that that was the thing that he pushed incredibly hard. And one thing that that the first book does the um, you know path to power in talking about his time as a congressman and him doing this is the way that people's lives were fundamentally changed when that electrification came and how much better it made their lives. And Mm -hmm. that sort of thing, I think, is really forgotten a lot of time in politics and that people don't focus on the effect that they can have if they do what they're supposed to do. And I think even with someone who, you know, stole elections, you know, talking about our, you know, electoral integrity, you know, he straight up stole them. But like the fact that when he did that, he didn't just personally, you know, empower himself, but like he used it to empower his constituents and the way that that could change their lives, I think is something that people forget about politics and people, you know, focus on the sexy, Ooh, you know, like, you know, how did they win the election, the Mm. horse race, the stealing, but you know, they don't focus on the way you can change people's lives. And yeah. so I think that series does a great job of showing both sides. And, and it's very good read. I will add that to my Christmas uh, reading list. That sounds fantastic. And I think that's uh, that touches on a point was when you look at the things that have empowered us as a nation, we have the national highway system. We have the electrification. Yep. We have the... Uh, the Universal Access Fund, that's $3 out of everybody's phone bill to make sure that folks have access to the phone phone lines all throughout the rural parts of the country. When you look at the things, that the, the amount of economic growth that that's engendered over our time, we realize that when we're investing in that rural broadband, we really are investing in our future. Yep. We are making sure that the people 
in this country are taken care of, and we're making sure that we're putting those folks first. So I really appreciate that recommendation. I'm yeah, gonna follow no, up on that. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'll, I'll be asking you about it. Hopefully, uh, after, maybe maybe uh, when you win your election, that can be my gift to you. Okay, thank so, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, th- thank you for uh, being on the podcast, and it was really great to have you. And I wish you luck in your race. Thank you so much. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.